just talking to people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's conversations, you know, and I'm good at that. You know, I have a natural gift from God to be able to communicate with people and relate to people. Um, and I learned so much from talking to people. The best thing that I ever learned in life is if you listen more than you speak, you'll always be able to understand somebody. And one thing that I learned is that we are much more alike than we are different. We just make that more complicated. to another episode of the League of Purpose podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan Jr. Um, I am super, super excited about, about this episode. Um, you know how when you meet somebody and you can just tell, like, this person is different. This person is, you know, this person is touched. This person is like a star. You can feel like that thing that people talk about, like the it quality, the, the it factor in people. This person that we have on the on the on the pod today, man, is is the epitome of that. Um, you know, so I'm I'm really excited, you know, for our conversation. But before we jump into, you know, exactly who our our guest is, you know, I want to spend a send a special shout out um, and condolences to everybody who's been affected, you know, by COVID nineteen. Um, anybody who has lost anyone during this time, you know, anyone who's gotten gotten sick and you know just been affected, um, whether that be close or far, you know, we want to just you know just continue to continue to send out prayers and condolences um, and good energy to those individuals, man. This is a, this is a scary time. You know, I think if we do not uh, acknowledge that, then we are lying to ourselves. You know, it's a time of uncertainty, but this is a time to, you know, strengthen our faith um, and, you know, really just get in, get in tune with ourselves. You know, when the world is kind of acting, acting crazy, you know, it's important to go within, you know, to find, you know, to find that, that inner strength, you know, the things that God has planned for. So, um, Without without further ado, I'm I'm gonna get into the little the intro of who we have, man. We got we got Mr. Justin Carter. He's an entrepreneur, the owner and operator of Realty Investment Group. Um, he is a national real estate investor and a business consultant. Um, Justin, man, what's up with you, bro? How much, man? Bless blessed to be hanging out with you today. Uh, you know, all is well, man. Thanks for having me today. No problem, man. Thank thank you for coming, man. It's so it's so funny. Um, I was telling my wife, like, you know, my my wife always kind of like, you know, checks in with me about who's a guest and all that type of stuff. And she was like, remind me how you met him again. And it's so funny because Justin and I met. Um, I was doing some wholesaling and I had <laughs> literally I had literally went to this house a day before, um, made this, made made this, made the owner of the, the property an offer. Um very low offer. I didn't expect him to take it, but I was still in communication with the uh, with the owner. And literally, I got sick the next day. And now that I think about it, I might have had the Rona because I was I was. <laughs> and literally, literally the next day, I got sick, so I wasn't in the communication with with these people. And I had just started following Justin like a week before. I look at his story, and he's just walking through this house. I'm like, damn, this house looks real familiar. And he was talking about closing on the property. I'm like, yo, I'm like this dude. I said he got. Bro, I had to. I had to laugh. I said, you know what? I'm not even hating. I'm not mad. It, it is what it is. I said, you know what? Instead of you know, instead of me getting upset and hating on this dude, I'm shouting him out. Like you know, what I'm saying T tapping in with him. And him and I linked up. And it's funny because our first conversation that we you know that we sat down with, man, we actually I think we was only supposed to meet for like thirty minutes, man. We ended up sitting talking for like an hour and a half, man. So it's yeah, it's, it's yeah. crazy how it works, man. So I I appreciate you coming in, man, and you know uh. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I think to to continue on to, you know, what you mentioned, man, it, it like I said, it was just kind of just a random connection. Um, I do believe some of those things are kind of ordered and divine and, um, man, just, just connecting with you. I, I had, after we had talked that day, I had reached out to a few people that I knew we had mutual friends, like just seeing on your social media. I'm like, because this dude, you know, you know, because I, 
to to your sentiments as well, man. I, I think you, um, you know, are like an amazing, amazing guy, man. And you're doing a lot of great things and stand just a stand up guy. And so I was reaching out to my friends, like, man, do you guys know him? Like, what do you, what do you know about him? Right. Cause you know, for anybody that's, that's just meeting someone out of the blue, you, you try to do your homework. Right. And Absolutely. man, everybody that, you know, that I was like, Hey man, like, how do you know him? Everybody's like, man, it's great guy. Um, just consistency amongst, uh, peers and friends, man. So, uh, same sentiments to you, man. And it was, it was a great, great opportunity to connect with you and meet you in here. Uh, some of the things that you're doing, so super inspiring for sure. Dope, man, dope. Well, listen, man, let's let, let's let's jump into your story. First and foremost, before we even get into that, man, how how are you doing? How how's the family doing during this time, during this quarantine, the pandemic time? How's everybody yeah. just holding it together during this time? Yeah, we've been we've been good, man. I'm I'm fortunate. I'm an extremely blessed man that no one uh, close to me has been uh, negatively infected by by this virus. That I know a ton of people are. Um, you know, so so my family and I, we've been doing well. Um, you know, everything is has been everything. Actually, I felt actually more busy now uh, than before before COVID. Um, you know, just with having to kind of stay at home and not having kind of the interpersonal connections and and relationships, man. And and so I've I've just I think I've kind of um, have dug more into the work, dug more into some of the things that I wanted to do, and so. Um, so it's been, it's been busy, man. You know, like it's, it's, it's been one of those seasons where, um, I feel like, um, you know, God has been watching over, of, of course, and providing and, and keeping things, um, status quo for my family and I, so just been good, man. Can't complain at all. Uh, blessed, uh, even more inspired, uh, and, and looking for, uh, what, what comes out of, out of this whole virus thing, man, and seeing what, what our world, uh, turns into. Yeah, yeah. Has it been has it been a a productive busy or has it been like kind of a, a anxious busy? Like you know what? I know this is a crazy time. Let me really dig in and get to work. Yeah, I think it's been a little bit of both. For me, I have I have been able to take a step back and um and and really inventory what's important to me. Um, mm-hmm. inventory uh the time that I was, that I've been spending on tasks that just weren't um, really fruitful. And I've been able to, to kind of prune back the tree, if you will, of my life. Um, so I think some of it was, or a lot of it has been, um, you know, more intentional and like more to your, to your podcast here, like more purpose driven. Um, but then some of it has been, um, having to be mindful of like, of knowing that this, I probably wouldn't get this time again. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to stay in a busyness mode, right? I wanted, for me, I, I'm, I'm before COVID, you know, I was always ripping and running and like, go, go, go. So I wanted to take the moment, of course, to take a step back to reflect, but also just spend, spend more time, just be more in the moment, mm-hmm. um, be more intentional about connecting with my friends and family, people that I haven't had, you know, long-term or not long-term, but, um, just deeper conversations with lately, haven't connected with on a heart level lately. So I think it's been a mixture of both for me. I've I've been really able to sort out what's important to me, um, kind of re re recalibrate um, some of the things that that I have set and some of the the visions and the plans that I that I wanted to fulfill. And then ultimately, um, I have had because I've got a you know wife and two children. Um, I've have had to um, the pleasure of taking a step back, man, and just like having days. Um, where I'm like, you know what, let's just not do anything today. Let's just hang around, you know, be in our pajamas, you know, watch TV and just, just hang out, you know? Right. So it's, it's been, it's been a blessing, man. It's been one of those blessings in disguise for me. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I I literally have been speaking the sentiment, man, the last few weeks to my wife that you know, ten years from now, we're going to look back at this time, her and I, and we're going to be able to say that, listen, this was the best thing that ever happened to our family. Um, you know, we had our first child literally a week before everything kind of shut Crazy. down. Um, and, and, it's, and it's just wild because you got to think about it. A week later, nobody wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been able to come and visit us at the hospital. Like, it would have just been totally different. Um, and when it initially totally jumped off, man, I was in the mindset of, okay, I know this is huge. This is rare and random. I got to get to it. I got to get to work, um, you know, and just, you know, going to therapy consistently and just, you know, really wanting to be intentional about the birth of our child. I had yeah. to reel back, man, and I had to step back and say, you know what? Let me just be in the moment. Let me be present. Let me be mindful about what's going on. Let me understand that so I'm never going to get this time again ever. Not only, you know, uh, are we not going to get this amount of, like, quote-unquote downtime, but, like, my child is just born. I'm able to be home with him. Like, if I was out right, working right. seven, eight hours a day outside, I wouldn't be able to see him grow and move and just, you know, develop right in front of my eyes. So I've been able to, you know, these last few weeks specifically, like the last maybe four weeks, about a month, I've been Mm -hmm. very intentional, man, and and being like very mindful of what's going on and just understanding what's real important. That's so important, man. Like I I think so much, and I've talked about this before and just like social media and um, just different other platforms that, you know, so many people, and I think it's it's almost a mentality of our generation um, of like this grinding narrative, this message that like everybody is hustling and, you know, team no sleep and like just these lives that are facades that are lived on social media that give people the false narrative that they aren't doing something right. You know, that that successful people mean to be successful means you have to have the busiest calendar. That's not it's not it's not true. Um, You know, successful people are intentional and deliberate about the things that they are purposed in life. Mm -hmm. And I I think happiness to to, you know, even, you know, some of the counseling and stuff like that. And like you, you know, you big ups to I think happiness is is often found when you can be honest with who you are and, and like take off or strip off the comparisons that may come from wanting to keep up with a pace that no one is able to, you know, like, and and so it's one of those things, man, where I I just see it so much, you know, and I I think it's part of because of who I am and who I'm connected to. I'm connected with a lot of uh, type A personality, entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. go-getters, you know, just courageous people. And I think as a part of them, the byproduct is um, that we kind of operate on a very high frequency. Mm-hmm. But um, that frequency isn't a safe frequency. It's not one that you want to um, like. Cha- you don't want to be a champion of that frequency. You know, there there is a residual cost that comes with with grinding that grinding message and narrative that you know. Um, I think a lot of people have been able to find ever since the whole pandemic. I think a lot of people have said, "Man, you know, I'm getting off that treadmill. Man, I've got to recalibrate some things." And uh, it it's been extremely. Um, I think important for for people to learn um, that that they that grinding and hustling and poor time management <laughs> doesn't mean that you're successful. That's right. Um, so so that's that's I love that, bro. I love it. Yeah. yeah, and that's so that's so it's so important and so valuable to to hear you say that. You know, somebody who has amassed a certain amount of success from the outside looking in. And, you know, still being fairly young, man, it's so mm-hmm. it's so valuable for people to hear you say that. 
Um, because literally just yesterday I was talking to my therapist and she was, you know, just kind of like talking about happiness. And she was like, listen, happiness, you know, as you continue to get older, you under be able to understand and be able to sit in that happiness is about being able to take certain certain moments and like really put yourself in those moments and experience the gratitude of those moments and hold mm -hmm. on to them. That's real happiness. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So there's a there's yeah. a difference in, in, in success and happiness, man. So it's just it's just so important and so valuable, man, to hear you to hear you say that because you 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 100 right, man. This narrative on social media and the generation that we in, the hustling, the the grinding, the the get to it, get to the bag, run it up, like all all of that is cool. I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for the financial uh, literacy piece, the financial freedom piece of it all. But there True. is a there's a risk and a reward that comes with it, you know, that a lot of times people don't always talk about, you know, so it's, so it's just good to, you know, hear, hear you speak about that, man. Um, Absolutely. So let's, so let's get into it, man. Let's start it. Let's, let's start at the beginning, man. Tell me what life was like for, for, for young Justin, man. What was, what was childhood like when you, when you really reflect back on being a child here in the city of Akron, man, what, what was it like for you, man? What was some of your, your best memories of, of growing up here in this city? Man, man, childhood, it was it was one of those things, man, where I don't know if we knew how good we had it until like I look at now. Um, like I grew up, man, broke, like like most people that I know, um, you know, living in, in the hood, living in a project of most most communities around Akron. Um, what's but what's I didn't. Of, what side of town are you originally from? Man, mainly, mainly from the east. side. Well, I moved around a lot. That's the thing. So, I, I mean, spent a lot of time on like Bellows, Wildwood, Channelwood. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of more West side, but then I moved a lot and was like, I lived in a Wilbeth for a while as a young kid. Um, my, we bought, we moved around a lot when I was young, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mainly, mainly I, I really, I, I would say between the East side and the West side was probably most of my time. I did okay. like live in the good, in good year Heights for a little bit, right. but, uh, be, between the East side and West side was both the, where I spent a lot of my time. Um, but yeah, man, like I just, just young young growing boy man in, in in the projects that i didn't necessarily know that we were um under uh uh privileged or or underrepresented and and just um and and the like i was living life right like i didn't know that we, we were poor until some of the, until i grew up or that we were broke until i grew up man i pretty much um a single single mom um who was raising three three kids um and you know for us man she she was our lion man my mom she um took after us she she was doing her best to raise um her children um i've got two older sisters and then i'm the youngest um the youngest son and um and so man just just an adventurous you know i played football a lot when i was a young kid well, i played all my life really um you know so for me like sports and uh football was something that i was able to um, unplug from, you know, my community and, uh, find man, like, uh, teammates, find, find a brotherhood. Cause I didn't have any brothers, um, you know, find, uh, just community, find men that were leaders, you know, that I could consider father figures. So for me, a lot of my, you know, uh, football coaches became, uh, mentors to me and became very instrumental to, uh, my growth and development. Um, and so, so yeah, man, like, I, like my childhood was a blessed one, man, but it, it was, it was one that when I say blessed, it wasn't that I, cause I had all the bells and whistles or cause we lived in a great community or cause we lived in nice houses, but it was, it was blessed because, um, I, I don't remember any nights going hungry. You know, I don't, I, I do remember nights where we had to boil water 
to have a good hot bath. And I do remember nights that, you know, the electric was off and we had to light candles. I do remember those kind of nights. Um, but I don't I don't remember any nights where I went hungry, that I was starving. Um, I, I'm thankfully I, I never had to sleep on the streets or anything like that, man. So I would consider it being blessed and it and it helped shape, I believe, a lot of who I am today. Um, it, it helped shape a lot of the character that an integrity that I, I, I desire to live and strive by. Um, and it was one man of, of humility, you know, and just, you know, in the, in the mindset of, you know, survival of the fittest, if you will. And, um, you know, I, like I said, for me early on as a young, as a young man, um, you almost feel the, um, like a lot of young men feel, uh, the responsibility to, as soon as you can become, um, a protector of your family, right? And become a leader, even at 12, 13, 14 years old. So, uh, so yeah, man, like me, for me, like I said, it, you know, for me, it's most football. Um, I love sports. Um, I was a decent student, probably CB student. You know, I wasn't an A and B student or anything like that. Um, and just growing up, man, enjoying life. What was the, you, you just touched on something I, I think is, is important. I think a lot of us, you know, share, share that experience. What, when how how old were you like what were some of like the earliest memories that you can remember just feeling that that pressure of feeling like okay i am the the man of the house yeah. i have to be you know um i have to be assertive or i have to you know i have to kind of just put some pressure on myself to do things a little bit differently because i share that sentiment um in mm -hmm. a way you know i have sisters I, I have seven sisters now and i have two mm -hmm. brothers now that came a little bit later in life but for the most time, it was just me, my mother, and my sister. My mother ended up getting remarried when I was like 10, 11. Um, okay. but, even, but prior to that, though, um, I remember feeling that. And looking back on it now, I, I'm able to understand that, you know, that creates a lot of anxiety. It, it really creates a lot of pressure and a lot of insecurities, too, when you, for you sure. know, are unable to feel those things. So, like, when, how old were you, you think, when you kind of, like, realized that that was a thing for you? Like, being the man yeah. that I Man, I th wow, that's a good question. I would say probably as I be started to become like a teenager, I would say 12, 13, 14-ish. I think about the time that I started to become like my mom's size, you know, yeah. like I started to become her height, you know, and right. I started to get a little bass in my voice and puberty right. was coming that I felt um, I had a, you know, that I felt that I had a duty unassigned, right? Like it, it wasn't my mom didn't sit me down and say, hey, you're a particular of this family. I think it's just something that's hardwired in, in young men um, that I that I felt, especially not. And I, I was I was fortunate enough that I continued throughout my life. And this is really God's God's grace, man. Like my 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 biological father died when I was around 11, 11 to 12 years old. Uh, when I was a uh, man, what grade was I? In? I was in the sixth grade when my when my biological father passed away. Um, and, um, I was fortunate enough that God continued to put father figures in my life. So, you know, like if it was, it could have been friends that I had, their fathers may have been in the home. And so, you know, they became kind of fathers to me. Like I said, it could have been coaches. Um, my mother, um, end up, uh, um, we, end up meeting a, a man who's now my stepfather today, you know, around, around the you know time I was like in the seventh, seventh, eighth grade, um, that, that really tooled and, and helped me. But even in all of that, it, it was still almost like everyone else, men even consider my stepfather was almost still outsiders to mm -hmm. us. You know, I was, cause again, you know, most of the people that are coming to my life, they didn't, they weren't there from the beginning. Right. And so I just kind of felt a duty. And I would say probably like I said, 12, 13, 14 is when I started to feel that, um, you know, and a lot of it, 
I think came from you start to realize what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Um, I seen, you know, like uh, addiction plague my mother. I've seen violence plague family members, um, domestic violence, drug addiction, alcohol abuse. I've seen all of that in my family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that early ages, right? And I didn't, I don't think I understood the trauma of it. Like now I do. Now I understand that they're just like tra- traumatic experiences that, um, that, I, that I experienced. But um, I think a lot of those started to uh, like bec- start to intrigue my senses and start to um, uh, kind of get me more focused and in, in looking after uh, the people around me uh, as best that I could. Yeah. And was it, was it fi- financially based? Was it a thing where, listen, I got to get some money or was it a thing mm-hmm. like, you know, I have to, I have to be the protector. I have, I have yeah. to be the one that, you know, when, when things are going rough, I can't show mom that it's affecting me. You know, what right, was, right. what, what was it like, you know, kind of like on the, on the outside that you were, you think that you were displaying? It was, it was both. It was, for me, it was protector because I've got scenarios where um, I was a protector and like got in some trouble for, for protecting my family. But mm-hmm. then too, it ended up be, becoming provision and, um, you know, provision and providing um, and not necessarily for the family, but taking the need to provide for me off of the, mm-hmm. you know, so as soon as I think 15 and a half, man, I started working under the table at this, uh, man, I don't know if you know, back in the day, Chapel Hill Mall, they used to have this uh, furniture store and it was i think it's it's where um like the halloween place is now it okay. used to be there and they were closing down forever i mean for like years they were closing down like um i can't even remember it either more either um but man we used to in the plaza but like burlington and stuff not not, not no there. no it was no so it was like if you, it's it's like it was in the mall so um like if you go on in the food court entry on the mm-hmm. left hand side like after you pass like where old Charlie's or whatever yeah, yeah, used to yeah. be on the left, yeah. uh-huh. that little hallway that you'll walk by the bathroom, it was there. So it was like a furniture store back there. Okay. And um, they were having this liquidation sale forever, man. And so like, that was my first job at 15 and a half, dude. And they would pay us, me and my boy, so funny, man. They would pay us, uh, what was it? I think $25 a day cash under the table. And we, we would walk around the mall wearing these highlighter yellow shirts that said like <laughs> liquidation sale, stores closing, and they would, you know, we worked five days a week, right? How many, so how many hours a day, man. I think we'd get there like five to like eight or nine. Okay. I, I, it was, I knew it was after school sometimes. So we would go yeah, after yeah. school. Um, it was probably like four or five o'clock until, you know, around the time the mall closed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was getting $25 a day, dude. I was loaded. I mean, that was what, a hundred right. bucks, a, $125 a week. Yeah, uh, like, money. I was, money. yeah, man. And so at that age is when, man, I started to be like, you know what, mom, like I can handle all my school clothes now. So it, it wasn't like for me, most kids, you know, I think they, most innocent kids that have provision taken care of, they would want to use that money to buy them the next game system or video games or something else that just improves their life. Mm-hmm. But like, for me, it was like, man, how can I, how can I use some school clothes or how can I use this um, to help with like gas or every time I, like, I don't have to ask my, my family for allowance anymore or every, you know, I ask them every day for money for lunch and to grab some chips or something. And so I yeah. thought about it like that. And, um, and so ever since 15 and a half, man, I've been like, that was the last time my family had to buy me school clothes, you know, yeah. was, you know, sophomore, sophomore in high school. Yeah. Um, and, and then like I said, I've, I've got, 
experiences I can talk about too that deal with physically, you know, and and more of from a um from a from a physical protector uh you know stance that man it it, it so both of those things man I just I didn't know it I think I was just being it was just instinctual I didn't know that I was um that I was trying to accommodate for um an imbalance of provision and finance in my family but I was just naturally doing it and didn't know why yeah look looking back looking back on it man do you think who who were some of your earliest entrepreneur influences even if you didn't know it back mm. then kind of looking back on it was there anybody that you can kind of like point to that was like this person you know had their own business and that like stood out to me or this person like just took matters into their own hands and it just made an impact on me was there anybody you know that yeah. you spoke to at a young age man i remember i remember a few people man that Again, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't call them entrepreneurs back then. You right. Know, the entrepreneurs. They were just hustlers. Fairly, yeah, they, these were just hustlers that were just doing this, man. It, I remember, um, like, I had a, a good friend. He's like a, I call him a godbrother. Um, and his grandfather used to collect cans, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, he used to teach us, and you go to his backyard, man, he's got uh, grocery bags full of cans in the backyard. He had this little wooden kind of crank wheel that you put the cans on and it crushes the cans. Mm -hmm. And, um, he would do that and he would go, he would go from neighbor to neighbor. And they, they, um, they knew that Charles was coming up to pick up their cans on mm -hmm. a certain day. Mm -hmm. So they would save their cans, put them all, you know, they would, they would put them in a separate trash bag and they would give them to Charles. Charles would pay them for saving the cans. Once he got the cans, he was he was like wholesaling cans, right? Like he was he was he was paying somebody for a can cheaper than he could sell it. I don't know. I don't even know who he was selling them to, and um, I'm sure to like to recycle. He, I th yeah, he was recycling them. Um, and so I remember things like that. Um, I remember just like the candy store lady, uh, man. Like this 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 is nostalgia. Like this is bringing back crazy memories, man. Like I remember. Um, uh, probably seventh, eighth grade, you know, I have a best friend growing up. Uh, his name is Eric. Uh, we, he lived kind of like, um, on the East side, like around seventh, okay. um, shitted in kind of like that whole area. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of not, not too far from joy park. And, mm -hmm. um, this lady, I don't remember her name, but we called her, you know, the candy store lady. And she had a candy store in the living room of her home. Right. Like, and it was, it was on some random street. Like you walked up, it was operated like a store. When you open the door, it had the little bell that jingled. She had, you know, the glass cases where you could pick out your candy. You can get a pickle, you know, just like those, those were, and I didn't know they're entrepreneurs. I just thought they were just people doing business, you know, and I didn't even know business. I just thought these were people that were, you know, living life. Mm -hmm. um, the, the corner store, um, you know, people that, that had corner stores, um, you know, just like all of these people, man, that I wouldn't consider a glorious business per se um but there there was there was some type of honor in what they were doing they were serving their community um and like even now when i think about this stuff man like we today this is not the kind like today if if a lot of those businesses were alive like they started up they wouldn't they wouldn't have any success there's there's a ton of ways that we've changed as a culture that would stop the candy store lady from selling candy out of her living room. Right. No, no one would let their kids walk down the street and walk into some right. random person's house to right. buy, you know, like all these things that I think <laughs> they would never be around today. Right. right. But these things were like, they built great memories for us. You know, we would, we would work and do chores just to get enough money to go to the candy store lady and get our pack of nine laters and our stickers and all that stuff, yeah. you know? So I think it was that man. It was just those people that were, 
you know, nothing fancy. It wasn't a guy that I seen, you know, driving a Benz back in the day or anyone fancy. It was just normal people, you yeah. know, and doing things that, that intrigued me. And I didn't know how they were doing them, but I knew that they enjoyed it. Yeah, that's dope, man. I mean, I, I always, I've said a few times on, on this, on this podcast is that like, I don't remember anyone kind of being intentional about me seeing anybody do business. You know, that just wasn't my experience. Now, when I reflect back on my introductions to entrepreneurs or just people just having their own business, I got to point to the, the barbers, the, yeah. you know, the, the ladies in the beauty salon, the, the nail salon. Like, again, I'm a boy growing up with my mother. So yeah. I see these so. people in business wherever she goes. You know what I'm saying? So if I see her going to the beauty shop, if I got to go and sit with her in the beauty shop and I got to walk next door to the barbershop, these are the two people that I see are right. you know, having, having their own business. And, mm. it, it, you know, it's, it's something different than the traditional nine to five. But again, at the time, I didn't know that those right. people were entrepreneurs or had their own business. I didn't. I had no idea. I just knew that they provided a service and you paid them. But yep. now as, I, as I've gotten older and just kind of got exposed to business and just been exposed to just life, I understand that those individuals are just like you said, super important. You know, pillars, man, pillars in the community. I think everybody in the in the hood and in the community, man, got a candy store lady. You know, what I'm everybody saying? had one, dude. You know what I'm saying that's that's a that, that's a that's a real thing. You know, so yep. I think that that's that's a, that's extremely valuable. What about in the space of, of of real estate? Was there anybody ever that you can kind of remember um, buying a home, had a rental property? Could have been. Yeah. The, on a small scale, but was that ever exposed to you at, at all as, as a youngster? No, man. Real estate never was exposed to me as a youngster ever. I had never, man. Um, none of my family owned, owned their homes. Like I said, I moved a lot. Um, I had, what was it? I kind I was counting the other day. I think in elementary, during my elementary school years, I think I went to four schools in five years. Mm. Um, I went to two different middle schools and then, you know, I only went to one high school. Um, but like, no, man, like I, I don't later in life, probably like as I became late teens, like, you know, maybe early adult, maybe 17, 18, um, 19. I really started to uh, learn a little bit of what like owning a home was about and things like that. But I didn't have any early any early um, showings or flashings of what real estate was about or seeing people doing real estate locally. Let me let me ask you this: moving moving around a lot because I moved around a lot a, a little bit too as a kid, and I know for me, the feeling that it that it sat with me was none of these places feel like home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was it was I think it was something in me. Um, I didn't I didn't know it, but subconsciously there was something that was in me that said, "Yo, I need a home." It's something about having my own, and there was yeah. something about providing a home for myself or other people. Um, I right. think that resonated with me as a kid that I think plays in, in, into me today. Do you think you just, just think, thinking back on yeah. it, yeah, that played into it at all? So I think when I was younger, um, that's a great question, man. Like when I was younger, I thought like moving around so much, it was almost fun to me. It was like a new adventure. It was like, oh, this is a new place, right? right. Like I get a new room. Right. Um, half the time I was sharing a room with my young, my she's older than me, but my she, she's the youngest of my two sisters. So sharing a room with her most of the time or like moving and meeting new neighbors, like it became fun. But okay. then, like you said, I remember, so, and this was kind of like my first time now that I'm, now that I'm like, now that I realized this was like my first time really starting to learn what it was to like build equity and what the, the the benefits of ownership was. So um, like I told you, my mom, 
um, end up uh, meeting a man about like, you know, seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, they, you know, they be, uh, we became a family um, and everything. And um, so we started, uh, he had a home that uh, was owned by his family. So this home had been in his family for years. I mean, uh, man, way before I was born, probably like the home was bought. Probably it was, I think they originally bought the home. It was probably built in the fifties or forties or something like that. And, um, so, um, so when my mom and him got together, um, and we, the, the moving down kind of slowed. So like I was telling you, it was like five, I was at four elementary, four schools in elementary, two middle two schools in middle and then like I was at the same high school my entire high school years it was because of him and a part of that was he he owned he owned two houses at that time um or had just sold a house and was also inherited the house that was bought in his family by his family and so we ended up moving into that house and then when we moved into it this is when you talk about like something becoming yours when we moved into the house it was dated it was lived in by his parents um and you know around the time his mother passed away is when we took over the house and we renovated the whole thing yeah he he put this roof on it put new siding on it i was helping him doing paint i watched him like lay carpet for the first i had never seen any of this stuff happen mm-hmm. you know i was a part of like laying towel in the in the uh, bathroom this yeah. was my first time seeing what equity and ownership was about right. and seeing how the benefits of um of of having something that was yours and how you could put money into it um because for for me right at his at at my age when we started doing that i was early high school years probably sophomore year in high school when we started to renovate that or yeah probably about freshman sophomore year high school when we started to renovate that house and for me i'm like why is he putting all this money in this old house it didn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. right because i was brought up to if it if it's broke just move right right? like or if if something's going wrong just move and then here it is we're in this house that he's putting money in and he's updating and he's making it um, he's making it better. He's adding equity to the property, increasing the value of it. And I didn't understand why he was putting money into it until it was all done. And I'm like, Oh wow, this is a nice house now, you know? And it wasn't until years later that I knew what he was doing, right? He was improving his property. He was adding equity to it. He was improving the value um, and therefore even improving the neighborhood. Um, So it was glimpses of it, man. But like early on, when I think about, moving and uh just seeing or just knowing what that was all about i i didn't i didn't understand the business aspect of it or like not the business but the more i didn't understand like what my parents were thinking when we were moving like i didn't know if we were getting evicted because i know i remember like having to put stuff on the curb before like i, I remember but i didn't know what they were right these things were i was naive to all of this stuff um so obviously once i got older i started to realize wow, there's a difference when you own something. And just some of the things we were able to do at that property, it's still owned by by him, um, by my stepdad. And so it's like, I started to see that glimpses of it, but had no idea how to put it into words or how to teach or learn from it and, and what to do with what I was learning or being a part of. Yeah, that's that's interesting, man. And it's and it's just so funny how things are kind of put in our in our life, <laughs> and whether we know the the importance and the value of it when it's happening. Crazy. That's just, that's Crazy. the importance of what we were talking about when we started about being present and understanding what's going on in front of you, because you just never know how this stuff is going to like you know mean to you down the road. Yeah. I, I mean, my my experience, man. I think again, I think for me moving around a lot, it was just 
it was these places don't feel like my home. I mean, I grew up in a domestic violence uh, household, so that required us to move from we had a, we had a house on the east side in Goodyear Heights, and we moved out to this to this place in Copley. It was a it was a beautiful home, but it didn't feel like mine. It didn't it didn't feel like ours, you know. So I never really settled in there. And then when things would just kind of get rough there, we would go back to my grandparents, and then you know we would go to an apartment. We would go back to my grandparents, go back to an apartment, and so yeah. for me. It was it was never a matter of it just kind of Man. being like it was never a matter of being an adventure, but I did feel like, yo, these places aren't home. I want to get to my own space to where it can be called mine. And I'll never forget when my mother, when she did buy that house in Goodyear Heights, um, her and my biological father were still married at this time. Um, okay. I'll never forget just how just excited and just you know, just the just the feeling that she felt for purchasing her own home, you know, what what that feeling, you know, meant for her. Um, I remember painting the shutters and stuff like like it was just a lot yeah. that went into it. That when you renting something, it, 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 you ain't, it's, ain't worried about that. Scared. Yeah, you're not you're not you're not worried about it. Um, but it's just it's just funny how things just kind of go on our path, whether we are aware 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 of them or not, man. So it's, you know, it's just interesting to hear that. Um, yeah. You you ultimately end up going to to Kent State, um, mm-hmm. and you, which is so interesting to me. You majored in, in in entrepreneurship, right? As an entrepreneur yeah. major, right? That just sounds like a contradiction. I actually hear people going to school to major, major. in as, as an entrepreneur. That just when I, had, yeah. when I heard that, I'm like, yo, I've I've never heard that. Like I am, I am not anti school at all. Um, I think there's a lot of value in traditional education. I do. But I do think that, especially for black males, um, I think that there's a lot more freedom, mental freedom and spiritual freedom in having your own, you know? And in my experience, I didn't learn the values of entrepreneurship or even learn what an entrepreneur was until much later after high school, definitely after college. You know, I just began reading on my own and I kind of like, you know, the bug kind of hit me and I just went from there. Um, so just talk to me a little bit about like yeah. how that even came about, because from there you got into your sales experience and things like that. Like, how did that even come about to major as an entrepreneur in, in college? Like, I, I, I really didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Me either, man. Me either. So, so I was at college, man. I, like I said, like you said, I, I went to Kent state when I first started at Kent state, um, you know, I was playing football as well there and, I was more focused on football and being an athlete that like major was second to me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was always in the technology. I was always in the tech. And so while I was playing football there, um, I was a computer technology major. Um, and so I did that for two, like my first two and a half years, that was my major. Um, and then uh, when I stopped playing football at Kent is when I really started to think like what, obviously football is not going to happen after college. like do I really, am I really the type of person to be sitting down doing computer programming or sitting in a cubicle working on computers? Like, and I had to be real with myself and the question or the answer to that question was absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And so I started to just look into the business program and, and look at some of the majors. And um, I had always wanted to run business. I always felt that I was business minded, um, but I didn't know, like, I didn't know how to, how to apply that. And so as I was looking at the majors, man, like entrepreneurship stood out to me. And um, when I first did it, I don't think I declared it as a major yet, but I took an introduction to entrepreneurship class. 
And once I took that class, man, it, all it took was one class and I felt at home. I felt that everything that the instructors were saying were things that I was super curious about. That was my first time in college that I was excited to go to class and excited and passionate about learning information because I really believed at that point that that information would help me in life. That was the first time, like, I don't know, I think probably ever that I had sat in a classroom, whether it be high school, college, that um, I felt that the information I was learning was going to help me after I left this place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that, so that began really the, the, like declaring that as a, my major and going full force all into it. Um, dude, that was probably the, one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, professionally, well, I'll say academically, um, my, my GPA went through the roof because I was now on a, I was, I was now right sized. I now found something that aligned more with who I was, um, and, and what my natural skills and abilities were. And yeah. it was so valuable, man. And this is it, it, like you said, it's almost an oxymoron because when you think of entrepreneurship, you know, when you think of college and, um, you know, in, in the collegiate space and academia, it almost is right counterintuitive to entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship often is debunking the system, yep. right? So it's, it's hard to learn from the system right. how to debunk the system, right? right. But right. It, it was opposite of that, man. What, what entrepreneurship, what having an entrepreneurship major did for me is it helped me to really put things together. It helped me to put put business together. It gave me such a broad view of business, economics, statistics, math, um, business management, um, learning how um, organizations flow, how they work, how you put them together, how they're structured, what a board is, learning what IPOs were. Like I was learning all of this stuff in college, right? So a lot of the stuff that people say, man, I wish our schools taught it. Our schools do teach some of this stuff. I learned it at college. I learned what it was to start a business. I learned, you know, who you should have as a part of your business. I learned how to raise funds in college. Like I learned, I, I learned a lot of this stuff. Um, and it was such a great program, man. Like it's so much so that I, I still go back. I go back and I teach, I go back and I speak there um, because it, it was very important to me, man. And like what really, what really stood out to me is, is throughout uh, my time there, uh, especially once I declared an entrepreneurship major, I began to take all the business classes, and, um, you know, financial accounting, managerial accounting, like all these things that statistics, business statistics, not regular stats, but business statistics, um, like all of these things that on the surface, you're like, I don't know how these apply. Dude, now that I've got a business, they become so valuable um, because not that I do, not that, not that I do my accounting, but I know enough accounting that when I'm meeting with my accountant, I can ask certain questions, right? Now that I learn legal or l- learn about taxation, all, all the legal was a part, we had a, I don't know what the, it might've been like principles of law or something like that it was a class we had to take. Um, and so my senior year, I kind of like frame this up for you. My senior year at Kent State, my whole year, because um, how they design the programs, your whole year, that, that your senior year, all you do is a practicum. And from so for my senior year, my last year in college, I was, I was getting credit to start and run a business. Mm. That, that is how I got graded, was mm. based on the business that I started and mm. ran. And I had an entrepreneur, they called them entrepreneurs in residence. So almost like if you think of like a doctoral program where you have like a doctor in residence, like a resident doctor who is, is helping people, helping like the, the incoming doctors and the ones that are in their residency learn about things. We had, we had that, but for entrepreneurs. And so we had serial entrepreneurs that are in community um, 
uh, my mine just happened to be this guy named Mike Beater. He owns a bunch of he owns like Water Street Tavern up in Kent. He owns like Tree City Cafe. He owns like a like a few hotels up. He owns a bunch of businesses up in Kent. Um, very very established in that area. And he was my entrepreneur resident. And so any he was the guy that outside of the classroom that I could call to for mentorship for help. Hey man, like I need to do this. Could you help me with that? You know, could you connect me to this? Like I don't know what the next step is. And so that was the first business. So. For me, by the time I actually was actually starting a business that would need to create and make real profit, it was already my second or third go around. I had already done this. You know, I knew how to write an operating agreement. I had I had to do that for 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 college. You know, I knew how to I knew what a feasibility analysis was because I had to do it in college. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think a lot of what people struggle with in business isn't necessarily the ideas. They've got great, brilliant fantastic ideas, but they struggle with how to bring those ideas into reality, how to take from what's in your head into your hand. And that's what that major did for me. That's what that degree helped me do is it helped me um, make tangible my ideas and um, it helped to create the framework and the blueprint for entrepreneurship. So it, it, it was, it was phenomenal, bro. Like it, it, like I said, that is probably one of the best decisions that I made in my life. Yeah. So, so, so it sounds like you were able to really build upon and understand and learn the logistics of, of business, which is imperative to, to running a successful business, man. Oh, it's almost, it's, it's almost like being an athlete, like your coach would always tell you, son, you got to learn the fundamentals. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't just be out here dunking and shooting. You, if if yeah. you don't know how to pivot, pivot, if your footwork is off, you know what I'm yep. saying? You can't, you know, if you can't set up your, set up your man to go the, the opposite way, you have to learn the fundamentals. So that's, that's super important. Let me, I want to go back a little bit. You said that, you always knew that you were business minded and you always kind of just knew that you wanted to run a business. Where was that instilled at? Because again, you said that, you know, when you were in college, you know, you were pretty much tunnel vision with sports. So how were you able to kind of like settle in, you know, listen, I want to, I want to have a business as opposed to being, you know, focus on sports so much, you know, because again, a lot of us, again, speaking for black males, you know, um, a lot of us have that experience of coming up in sports and not too many of us go down the business route, especially when we are having success in the, in the sports realm. So how, how did you know that you were kind of like, you know, a a business person and you were business minded and like, what made you like stick with business as opposed to, you know, trying to do the the sports thing? Yeah, man, I was always different. So like I said, I, I played, I played, football all my life since I was seven. Um, I played football from seven up until the age of like 21, um, nonstop, um, you know, did really well in high school, um, you know, made it on Kent's team, uh, did well there. And what I found is that no matter what, I wasn't, I wasn't like these guys. Um, these guys weren't like, I, I felt that I was, I felt that I had many different layers that I was often suppressing to fit in. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that like I felt like these guys like this was their world right mm-hmm. like that this that football even though I was good it was like one of those things where it, it, I was good at it but I wasn't good at it I was and I was passionate about it too so I, I don't want to say that I wasn't passionate but I was good at it knowing as a well that I had other parts to me that I had mm-hmm. other things that I wanted to explore and so I really started to like I, it really started to be validated once I got to college right in high school you're you're guarded because for me, I was able to ride the wave of talent. You know, in high school, I did really well, um, standout player for my school and in, in the city. And I was able to, that 
that became that that was almost wrapped up in passion. So most people are passionate about things that they're good at, right? Like I don't anybody that's good at something, even if you suck at it, eventually if you become good at it, you typically become passionate about it. Right. So um so my passion in football was because I was good at it. I was good at it all my life. But then once I got to college and I was with everybody else that was good at it, something like the passion of the game um, kind of went away because now I was an investment to the school, right? Like I, we had to weigh in every week. We had study tables. I had to be at um, single digit body fat percentage every, every week during the weigh in, you know, like it, you just became, the playbook was super thick. Um, you were bad. It was so political. And so like this recruit or this sponsor or this person, you know, uh, gave an endowment and there's like, it became so political that I was like, this isn't the football that, that I fell in love with. Right. And so at that point is when I really started to, um, lean more on the other parts of me. I have, for me, what my one of one of my strengths, one of my biggest gifts is um, I'm a thinker. Like I I get paid uh, to to think. Um, when if if someone if you ask me like what my superpower is, if you ask me like what do you think that you do that no one else can do at your at your level is it's thinking. It's it's um, and, and not just thinking in general, but it's thinking about business. It's thinking about operations. It's thinking about how do how do pieces fit together. It's thinking visionary long term. And so these these had always been like in the back of my mind. I I always see, and, and this is this is one of the things that I tell people that you know uh, reach out to me for advice or whatever about like finding their purpose or finding their passion or not passion but finding their purpose. Because um, I, I tell them your purpose typically lies in the area that you see or you're most irritated in. So like, um, it could be like, it could be the guy that hates things being unorganized, right? It could be the guy that says like, man, I need for my life. I need for my shoes to be in place. I need for, you know, the, 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 the forks, the plates, I need for everything to be in place. I need for my closet to be color coded. Like that person, like your, your passion, and your purpose typically comes and stems out of the things that annoy you um, because it's the things that you see differently that most people don't, or they would, it would annoy them too. Right. Um, and so for me, I found that I would often get annoyed by inefficiency. Anytime something was done inefficiently, anytime, you know, I'm like, dude, you could have quick, took a faster route to get there. Or dude, you could have, you, you could have said that in much shorter, <laughs> in a much shorter sentence, right? Like inefficiencies bothered me. Um, operations bothered me like when they were, and I learned this from working in, in companies, right? And I'm like, like, I know how to fix this. And if they would just let me do this, then it would be so much better, right? I thought I was always thinking of in that mindset. I wasn't ever just kind of riding the wave. I was always looking for ways to improve something, ways to do something better. And, um, and so for me, like when you, when you ask, what are, what are some of those things that uh, for me, that was in the back of my mind that helped me to shape up and know that business would always be something I would do is because once I found an, once I found a container to put that mindset in, I was like, yeah, this is it. Like once I once I found a container that I could that I could make profitable from my abilities to make something better, for me that was that was the area that I should be now going in. Like once once I said, wow, my annoyance with inefficiency in other for an artist. That's that's their world, right? Like artists, they roll on their time. It's all about the art. It's all about the process. Just let it come to you. And I'm like, yo, we've been here. You know, like 
I, I don't think like an artist. I think like an operations, like a business owner, like almost like an engineer. My mind is almost engineering isk. Like I've got some engineer friends and we think very similar. Um, and so I just happened to find a container that I could use to solve the uh, annoyances that I had in life. And that just happened to be business. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there could be other containers that I could use to solve the annoyances, but, um, for me, I landed on business and, and those were kind of some of the earlier things that eventually business just became the no brainer. It was like, oh yeah, I could, I could do this. Like this makes sense now. So first off, um, number, number one, I, I love that. I never heard anybody say that before. You know, your purpose is usually rooted and connected to something with some type of annoyance. That is that is beautifully said because that's that is hilarious to me um because i know exactly what you mean when you say that (laughs) i would consider consider my purpose to be you know in the um in the framework of service um and which is why i like to have these conversations you know i i the point of the the point of this platform and this podcast is not for me to try to highlight myself, you know, it's to try to highlight other individuals and to have real, honest, genuine, authentic, and fruitful conversations. Um, and the annoyance portion of it that comes in for me in providing service is, and I'm learning a lot of this in therapy, is <laughs> things don't always work in from a black and white framework you know there's way more gray than there is black and white and when i do something for somebody or i you know try to assist somebody in doing something and they do it this other way i'm like yeah this don't make sense to do it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or when we having these conversations i'm like but did you hear what you just said and so i i, I know exactly what you what you mean when you man. say you know, it's disconnected to that to that annoyance um i want to know man how does it how does a young dude who's an athlete in college, 20, 21 years old, have the confidence and the courage to say, listen, I'm different and I'm going to stand on that difference and go my own way. Because when you are different and when you choose to act outside of the status quo, there's a lot of people who's, you know, who's running right behind you, supporting you, you know, there's a lot of blowback. So how does, how does does a young dude get there and like talk to me a little bit about just like what that process was for you to stand on your differences, stand on you being unique and, you know, say, look, Mm. I'm not like y'all, you know what I'm saying? That's no disrespect, but I'm going to, you know, relish in what my gifts are and do something different. Yeah. It was really hard, man. Um, I think it, it stemmed for me, in my relationship with God and, and in my connection to the church. Um, and I've, and I got to say both of those cause they're not mutually exclusive these days. Um, mm-hmm. so for me, man, at the age of 16, you know, to take a step back a bit, I was dating, it might've been 15. I was dating, um, this young lady and she was a Christian and, um, I, I wasn't technically like, I wasn't a Christian at that time. I, I was a good person, um, I believed in a God. I didn't know what that meant. Um, and so once I met her, man, and this is all, and it kind of all happened together at the same time. Um, I met her, she was a Christian, um, her family and not just a Christian, but they actually went to church every week, church and Bible study, um, were very like in top, they were members of the church. They were solid staples and members of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and around that same time, my football coach as well in high school was also a Christian and, he would take us to like a 
like we would go play basketball at his church, you know, like they had like a basketball league at the church. Um, and also around this time, um, he took us this in Halloween around Halloween, he took us to, it's called judgment, judgment hall or judgment day. Um, and it, it pretty much you go to a church and it's, it's kind of like set up like you're in a, a like in a haunted house of some sort, but it's, 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 it's telling a message of, of God and of the Bible. And so all these things kind of were culminating and happening together. The, at the, we, we, when I went to the Halloween thing um, or the judgment hall, um, we were going from room to room and the person that I thought would go to heaven did not. And the person that I, I'm like, this dude is not going to heaven or after the story and what I heard about him and what he did. I'm like, he, he's not going to heaven and he ended up going to heaven. And it, and it, it flipped my perspective because, or not really my perspective. It flipped, it flipped what I knew was truth. It, it changed what I thought was truth because I thought if you were just a good person that you would go to heaven. And if you're a bad person, you're going to hell. And so, so happened the bad person that <laughs> decided to give their life to Christ was going to heaven. And the good person that didn't want to, uh, you know, anything to do with God or anything to do with Jesus didn't go to heaven. And, um, and so all these things were happening at the same time. And so I, long story short, man, I ended up going to church with this girl that I was dating, that I was saying, talking about. And um, the pastor of that church, um, he ended up becoming like a father figure to me, very important man in my life. Um, he told me probably like the second or third time that had come, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he just like, he would meet me or just kind of kid around with me. Like, you better be careful with my, you know, he used to call the mm -hmm. girl that I dated, his daughter as well. Better mm -hmm. be careful with my daughter, you know, don't do nothing crazy. Mm -hmm. And, um, one day, man, like after church, he set me down. This is the first time that I ever had this happen in my life. Mm -hmm. He set me down as a 16 year old young boy. And he said, um, and it sounds cliche now, but it was, these words were very powerful in my life. He said, God has great plans for you. And I think you'll go really far in life and you're special. That, that's what he told me. And at that point, at that time to a 16 year old boy, dude, those words were life giving. They, it was like a shield had been taken, like uncovered my eyes and like colors were much more bright and vibrant. Not really, but like, that's, anybody, that's, I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off, but had anybody ever spoken life into you like that before? No, never, yeah. mm -hmm. never. So I and think, and that like now thinking about that at 16, I don't remember anyone intentionally like the life that I had gotten spoken into me was based on things that I did. Right. It was based on a grade that I had earned in school or based on a performance that I had on a football or a basketball court. But it wasn't just based on who I was. Like he looked at me, looked at my soul and said, wow, like God's got great plans for you. You're special right. and you're going to go far in life. Right. And, and, and so for me, man, like that was, again, that, that changed my life. And so at that point I started to correlate and I started to want to know what is God's plan for my life? Because they, it, God's plan for my life could be different than what I see for my life. And it, it sounds very simple, like as I'm talking about it, but as a 16 year old boy, I thought that my life was based on what I wanted to do. And that's the success and how I would navigate life and my goals will be based on me just doing them. I didn't know that destiny and promise and purpose was a part of it. Like, I didn't know that there was a God out there that had put something already in me, that a God out there knew what I would do, what I would become, how many kids I would have, the wife that I would marry, the places that I would live. He already knew that stuff. And so, so to bring this full circle, at that time, 16, 17, man, I'm battling because I'm this 16, 17 year old kid. I enjoy life. I enjoy girls. I'm enjoying being this football player. 
I'm enjoying like all that comes with that. I get to college and again, now I'm put in more conundrums. Now I'm putting more chances where I'm like, man, I've got to almost prove, not prove, but these, these were, I was put in moments where I had to show who I was living my life according by. Like I had to, through college, man, and like going to parties or doing certain things. Like, and I went to parties, I had fun, but it, it was always a battle. It was always a battle of like, I serve a God that, that has put a ton in me and that wants the best for me. And he's giving me purpose. He's giving me passion. I was preaching at that time. I got, um, and that, that was another thing, man. Like I was a licensed minister. I was preaching at the age of like 17, 18. Um, so like, here it is. I'm like battling being this young black male preacher with all of the, the, uh, the temptations and all that, that comes with that. And so I'm like, I'm living literally like a conundrum. I'm living a, um, like, like this, this internal battle and wrestle. Mm -hmm. And so around that time, man, for football, and when it came time to step out and came time to really start to make decisions that I felt were important to me, I had already had years of knowing that and committed that God's plan and purpose for my life would be the number one reigning factor when it came to me making decisions mm -hmm. that my will would always submit to God's will for my life. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, you know, not that it sounds, but it's much harder done than said. Absolutely. And, I, and so when it came down to football, you know, one of the things that, you know, stopped me, man, is like, this was going into my junior year. It was time. Like I had sat on the bench. I had rolled the bench. I had done scout team for the first two years, two and a half years, man. And like now, it was like, your turn is up. You know what I'm saying? Like the guys out in front of me, they were graduating, they're leaving, you're next up. And um, getting prepared for um, our spring game that year, which is typically like, you know, that's like the first veiling of what the team is going to look like, who the starters were, all that. And this is my time. And um, the, literally the last play before the beginning of the spring game. And I had, I had like parents, I had people flying from out of state, like out of, out of town coming in to watch. Cause it's like, dude, this dude is finally on the field now. Right. Right. Um, and dude, I hyper. So last play, we were just doing walkthrough, man, just in shorts and jerseys and helmets, just doing, you know, walk through, just going through our plays, all that stuff. Freakish accident, man. Like I got tied, my feet got tied up. Um, and I severely injured, injured ligaments in my ankle. Mm. Um, and, and some stuff in my knee. And as I'm like, as I'm like walking, not walking, but getting carried off the field, um, I'm laying on the table. So they end up taking me back to the training room. And, um, here it is like, this is the first time that I ever heard God audibly speak to me. I've only heard God audibly speak to me probably once, uh, I would say twice in my life. Uh, and this is the first time that I heard him audibly. Um, but he had told me that this would be the last time I would be playing football. And so here it is, like I'm sitting on the training table with, you know, the team doctors and the, you know, the, the, the nurses and all that stuff and the physical therapists. And like, I'm crying and they think I'm crying because of the pain and I'm crying because of what I heard in my spirit and what I heard audibly. And for me, that was like the shift. It was, it was that. So it was, it was spiritual for me. It wasn't like that I was super uh, courageous or that I had like this, this gene in me that. I was always blazing trails and wanting to do new things. It was that I had a relationship with the God that was very real to me. And I, I needed him to give me direction. And in that time of confusion, he gave me clarity that spoke and pierced through all the noise, all the fear, 
all the confusion, all the hurt, all the anxiety, all like all those feelings that I had to finally get to he his his voice spoke and cut through all of that. And had he not spoke to me audibly then, I don't think I would have quit. I think I would have stayed playing. Um, and so it wasn't until I quit football that I changed my major and went all in. So like who I am today is, is, is mainly because of that decision that I made, you know, my junior year at Kent state, when I left football, I handed in the scholarship, like I left handed all the opportunities in and told my family, yo, everything that you guys cheered for me about, you know, I had cousins in the NFL you, you, you know, this was supposed to be what you were doing. This was supposed to be the track. I had to dis, I had to like deny all of those things mm. and, and walk into a new version of who I was. And for me, that came because of the voice of God. It came because for me, I looked at it as an act of obedience to the one who had authored my life mm-hmm. and that I would be crazy not to follow that voice. Yeah, that's dope, man. When you, when you heard God speak to you, because you said you heard him speak to you audibly, did you actually did you actually hear something like ver- verbally or was verbally. it just kind of like a spiritual thing? No, I actually heard it verbally. You heard it. I actually, yeah, that, I've only heard, I've only heard God two times verbally in my life. And that was the first. And, and, and this yeah. is how, um, and, and this is one of those things, man, where like, like I said, it pierced through. So like, it was, it was such a, and, it, and it's weird when I explain it and only take like someone hearing like God audibly, um, was it was such a loud, small voice? If I if that means anything, no, it, like it, it's, it's oxymoronic. But it mm-hmm. was very loud, but it was very small, like very small. But it was like a confident, uh, powerful, authoritative voice, mm-hmm. and it was a voice that, again, when I heard it, everything began to like. I, I almost picture it like, um, you know how like if you look at like a pan of spaghetti and everything is just kind of like all the noodles are intertwined. Mm-hmm. The minute that that voice spoke to me, everything became like untwined. It became very clear, very straight in that moment to make that decision. Um, yeah. So, yeah. When, when you, um, pr- prior to you meeting this young lady that you were dating, did you have a foundation of, uh, of God or in religion in the church pr- prior? Uh, I went, I went to church sometimes with my grandmother yeah um my biological father and i didn't know learn this until after he passed away he also was a a minister he also was a licensed minister preached um i didn't i had no idea and so i didn't learn this until later in life but yeah i would go you know like some of the holidays you know easter christmas i would go with my grandma like a lot of us like like a lot of us yep yep so so when you do decide to you know walk away from the game and you know pursue your, your purpose really at, at this point in time. Again, you spoke on it a little bit. You said that, you know, I had to deny everything that, at least in my mind, that I thought was already aligned for me, you know, what other people, you know, uh, thought, thought, thought was mine. Right. What was what was the pushback from them? And like, because again, I'm, I'm understanding it now. You were able to say, you listen, I, I had a direct order from God and I'm yeah. going to follow it. But what was there? What was the, what was the world telling, telling you at, at this time? I was crazy. The world was telling me I was crazy. And my coaches were like, dude, you know, take some time to think about this. Like, this is a major decision that you're making. And, you know, you're making it under pressure and under stress and under hurt. You know, um, it, 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 it was going to change a lot of things. I mean, it was going to change all the relationships, the friends that I had. I wouldn't um, my, my parents 
and my close family, the people that it really mattered to, um, by the time I told them, they understood because at this point they they had started to see um, a change in me and and me developing, especially when it came to um, the church and and being a Christian. They started to see um, like the fruit of the spirit like they started to see like because anybody can say that they're christian right like right. anybody they can say they, they believe in god but like the truth and what the bible talks about is like you shall know them by their fruit like it will be the fruit it'll be what per, what they produce the actions how you should believe that they are one of mine mm-hmm. and so by this time I, I think i started to produce some fruit mm-hmm. um and and so as i was telling my family like this is what i believe god told me Mm-hmm. They they couldn't they they it was it was almost a memorial that they had to have because they had to they had to they had to pretty much kill the version of me that they had in their minds and pick mm-hmm. up a new version mm-hmm. right and in my in their mind I'm the football player I'm the athlete I'm this I'm that and when I tell them that's not who I am anymore my family has to kind of bury that person they have to almost memorial that person like who that person was and and learn who this new guy is all about and what this new season would mean for me yeah that's um that's that's dope man that, that's that's beautiful um i don't i don't think that i've ever had god I, I don't think i've ever heard god speak to me verbally but i know for a fact that i've witnessed god speak to me through other people and like there's been specific times in my life where i would like <clears throat> it was it was too random too coincidental too divine for it not to be anything other than God. You know, I, I always point to, you know, my wife for sure. You know, her and I went to high school together. Um, we knew each other a little bit. Um, she graduated a couple years prior to me, and we hadn't seen each other for 10-plus years. Like, you know, during during this time, I'm a young dude. I'm ripping and running. I'm messing with chicks. I'm just doing a whole bunch of shit I don't have no business doing. Right, and right. literally, my wife and I, I went to a job interview. I was on my phone in the, in the in the lobby. And literally, I heard somebody say, John Morgan. I looked up, and it was my wife. And make a long story short, she ended up becoming um, my supervisor at one point in time. And then all of a sudden, she wasn't my supervisor again. And, like, I remember having a feeling of, yo, that's your wife. And, like, the first time I asked her out, super nervous, no confidence. I wasn't myself. (laughs) She denied me completely. And... (laughs) I'll never forget. She was like, man, get out of my office. And I'm like, damn, this was supposed to go this way. And yeah. literally, as I'm leaving, something came over me and I looked back and turned around. I laughed. I said, you know, I'm just going to ask you until you say yes. And that moment right there was just kind of cemented of God speaking to me through her. It's like, hey, I'm here. I've, I've come. Yeah. You know, you found me. Let, let's let's make it work. You know, so that's, so that's, that's powerful, I, man. Yeah. that's yeah, and, and I would say like I've for the majority of the times it's something when I'm hearing, when I'm hearing God, um, like I said, I do have them. I have them audibly. Now I I've only had them a few times audibly. Like I just explained often the, the, what I, when I'm hearing God or am I hearing the voice of God is typically through like an unction to do something. So it's almost not words that I'm hearing. It's almost an action that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously the other, the other time is definitely through people. Um, God often speaks to me through people, um, bringing someone into my life, people that I don't know. You know, I've had people that have spoken certain words, um, over my life that I have no, like I, I've never met them before right. or, 
or even through God often also speaks, has lately been speaking to me through, through really through favor. Um, like certain relationships that I have connections that I've had resources that I've been able to leverage or use to, to help me as an individual. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have, like, I shouldn't have the ability to connect with these individuals. And so, um, but I've had, and I've seen it, I've had it in my business. I've had it in my spiritual life where somebody's like, somebody said, man, God is, t- I feel like God, and, and I haven't had to talk with them about religion, about God, about Christianity. And they're like, yeah, something, God is telling me that this is okay for me to help you with, or God is telling me to, to do this for you or give this to you or say this to you. And I'm like, okay. You know, so it's, it's been, it's one thing that I know is true is if God really wants to tell you something, he will find a way to get it to you. Oh, for sure. I don't care if it's from a burning bush <laughs> or from him speaking to you directly. Um, he'll get his word to his people. So when you when you were relaying that message, like, hey, I'm going I'm going to walk away. I'm pursuing something different. Were you specifically telling people, hey, God told me to to do this? Were you telling them I heard from I heard from God? Were you telling them that? No, I wasn't. I wasn't confident mm-hmm. enough then yeah. um, to tell people that I had heard from God. Nor yeah. nor 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 did I know at that point yet that I could confidently say it. Like I don't know if I was mature enough to say it then. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just telling, I did, it was, it did have to do with God. For me, it was, um, I was removing myself from something to commit to something else that happened to do, that had to do with God, that had to do with what I believe his plan for my life. And so that was more the narrative. I was telling people like, you know, man, I feel like God is leading me to um, take a step from, from football, to walk away from football and go all in with, with school, as well as for me, again, I began to preach a lot at that point. Um, which helped develop a lot of the gifts that I use in my business when it comes to communication, when it comes to uh, public mm-hmm. speaking. A lot of those things that I learned, I learned them in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned them, I learned oratory from the church. Like I learned all these things from trying to just become a better speaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, even when, if even as I was going to Kent, and a lot of it, a lot of my coursework was like presentations, meeting with investors, um, meeting in front of boards. That the composure and the um, the strengths that I was able to develop was developed because I was sitting up on a platform speaking to a church. So I didn't, you know, speaking to hundreds. So I, I didn't have a problem speaking to 10 or five or whatever. Right. So, so what, what, what came next, man, after you do walk away, you end up finishing school, what, what kind of came next for you? Yeah. So after that, man, I, uh, I started, I did a sales competition. So all oh God, bro. Like, um, so my senior year, I had entrepreneurship major and I also was going, uh, I had a sales minor cause I always was doing sales. I had done sales all my life. And so I wanted to know like, what is, what is, what is sales really? You know, I, I was doing it just kind of cause I was naturally good at it, but I didn't know like the formula behind it. I didn't know what it was that made successful salespeople good and what didn't. Um, so Kent state also has a sales program and a part of their sales program, they have a sales competition. So just like with sports, you travel to other schools and you compete against their sales team, almost like a shark tank. Like the best way I can explain it is like, it's like a shark tank, but the sharks are behind a glass mm-hmm. and you are speaking to, uh, it's almost like a role play. So you're trying to sell someone mm-hmm. in front of people that are behind a glass mm-hmm. and they've got like objections they've got to throw at you. They've got things that you've got to, they've got to be hiding and that you've got to pull out of them and they grade you on that. Um, and so for me, I was doing that, did really well in it. Um, I end up, 
as a part of those sales competitions, they had job fairs. So, you know, the top sales uh, organizations would obviously go there because you've got the top sales talent from all over the country competing for their schools. And um, so that's where I met my first employer right out of college, which I went and uh, worked for HP. And so I went the sales route. Um, and for me, I, I knew that entrepreneurship was something that I always wanted to do, but I didn't know how I was going to do it yet. And I didn't I, di I didn't have that idea. I didn't have like, oh, like I've got this great business I'm going to start. Um, entrepreneurship initially was more entrepreneurial. I wanted to learn more about the businesses so that when I became maybe an employee to one, I knew how to operate within it. I knew how to sell to people. So it all it all helped when I, you know, when I was um, in my sales profession. But yeah, right after college, man, I ended up um, meeting HP at a career fair and uh, accepting a job for HP which then right after graduation, man, um, my wife and I, we moved out to California, which is where um, I took that, took on that sales role. So you got married even prior to even doing the, uh, the, the, the sales, the sales conversation. How, how old were you? Yeah. When you got married? Uh, I was 21. Young, yep. man. I got married. Yeah. My, my, my senior year, the beginning of my senior year in college. How the hell does a 21 year old know I'm ready man. for marriage and like, understand the responsibility and the just just everything that comes with that or did you did you not know like what kind of gave you that yeah. courage to, to even make that move yeah so i'm i'm someone that i've always been and i didn't know this until recently um just taking a step back and looking at my life i've always i've always been well ahead of my of my age my mm -hmm. age group mm -hmm. even though i'm typically the youngest of my age group mm -hmm. so like I, my birthday in September. So I went to school. Most people start at five. I started at four. Mm. Most people graduate high school at 18. I graduated at 17. Mm -hmm. um, but like, and again, these are, these are things that I'm still learning about God and what he's doing in my life. But yeah, man, at that time, it just felt like the right thing to do. Um, for me, my wife had been someone who'd been there since the eighth grade. Dude, like um, we met in the eighth grade. We dated in the eighth grade. We dated throughout high school. We dated throughout college. Um, we had the same middle school, high school, and college graduation. Like on, we wow. both on the same days oh, of middle school, high school, and college. So y'all like middle, middle school sweethearts. Middle school sweethearts, bro. Wow. Um, yeah. So by that time, man, like here it is, like everything is moving around me and I'm, I'm, I fall in love with the one that's constant with the person that's constant in my life and who had always been there as a supporter. And so it was just the next step, man. Like for me, as I am a young black Christian, as I'm a young Christian male trying to live holy as well as live in my passion, I'm preaching, I am, you know, uh, doing the school thing and I'm struggling in my flesh. Like I'm struggling with wanting to have sex with my wife, but I'm like, I'm struggling because I can't necessarily because I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to. Um, and so, man, it was just like, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. And it, and it was like, for me, and it wasn't, it wasn't about it wasn't necessarily about the physical, even though that that was a portion of it. But for me, it was like, this is the chance to, to, to frame up one of the most inconsistent parts of my life. Mm -hmm. um, women, right? Like that was the one, I mean, I dated, I dated a ton of women, dude. Yeah. Um, and, and so like this, but this is for me, the chance to, to firm that up. So I don't know that back then I knew the, the, the seriousness of marriage. Um, I, was, I was always minded older than I was. So at 21, I was probably thinking like a 26, 27 year old. Um, cause I, I bought my first house at that time as well. So my wife, we got married and bought our first house before we graduated college. And so like, 
so so I was all like I was thinking much older than I should have really like if I could do it again I probably would have told me to slow down a bit um but yeah man like 21 dude <laughs> what, what was it about your wife that made her so constant was it her physically being present or what, what was it about her that you just felt like okay this is this is yeah. what I need this is this is I think it was proximity she was it, she was proximity she was um, cause she had always been there. She had been the person that knew me from day one. She knew me from eighth grade. Yeah. Um, my family loved her, uh, which, which also was annoying because I'm dating other chicks and like, they're like, like I, I had moments where like my, my wife was at, well, my current wife, but then my, she, I wasn't even dating her. She would be hanging out at my mom's house and uh, I'm like, I'm like on my way with a girl. Hey mom, chill out. I'm like, mom, you gotta chill. Like, what are you doing? Get this girl out the crib, right? right like that's right, right. um, but she had always been it was proximity, man. And it was one of those things where I just felt like it, it was it was something that just kept smacking me in the face until I was like, you know what? This is it. Like, and it was one of those things, man, where we're like when I finally proposed, everybody was like, finally. <laughs> and even at 21, everybody was like, finally, like finally you did. Cause it was it was one of those things, man, where people could see it. Um, we lived, and again, this isn't like what I'm saying isn't something I would even recommend now, um, because there, there's, there's a residual, there's a backdrop to some of these things. Um, but like we had been acting, and our, our relationship was very serious from you know late high school, early mm -hmm. college. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where it's kind of like you know finally, 